Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the Bible in Life podcast. I am glad you're joining me on this episode. On this episode, I want to look at sort of an all-inclusive principle that I see modeled for us by the Apostle Paul that really gets at the ultimate motivation for our life, the ultimate evaluation for our life. And so I think uh, this principle is hugely important for us just to regularly and prayerfully reflect on as we live for Jesus. But before we jump into that, just want to say welcome. And if you're new and this is your first time on the podcast, we're glad you're here. The Bible in Life is all about providing what I like to call blue jeans theology. And by that, I mean Bible teaching theology that's in the language of everyday life, set down in the context of everyday life so that you and I can follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. And so, Thank you for being here. If you're a regular listener, thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. If you're a supporter of this ministry, uh, man, thanks a ton. You are the ones that make both the Bible and Life podcast, the listener's commentary, and this entire ministry go. So thanks a ton for your prayers. Thanks a ton for your support. All right, let's jump into the content that I want to look at on this episode. This principle that I said I see modeled in the life of Paul shows up in the book of Philippians, and interestingly enough, I think the same principle is actually found in Luke's account of Paul's ministry in Philippi in the book of Acts. And so I want to just kind of flip through the book of Philippians and then quickly tie that to Acts chapter 16 a bit at the end and think about what Paul is getting at in some of the things he's saying in the book of Philippians. Philippians is often called the letter or the epistle of joy because it's got quite a bit about joy and Paul seems kind of relatively happy in the letter and there's no major problems that he's addressing. And indeed, Philippians is that. And yet that's only like a small piece of the equation. Um, and so what really is going on is this. Philippians, if we wanted to kind of give it a general description, is the, the letter to the Philippians is a letter of friendship and thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul, when he writes Philippians, is under arrest in custody, most likely in the city of Rome. Uh, the, sick, the situation there is that he is in his own rented apartment, chained to a Roman soldier, and by uh, the Roma, Roman penal system required that someone in that sort of custody still had to pay for their own room and board. They weren't free to work. So they were dependent on the care of their family and friends to provide for them so they could pay for their own rent, pay for some of their own food. That's the situation Paul is in. Well, Paul, over the course of the previous decade, had developed quite a friendship with the church at Philippi and quite a bond with them. And so there sits Paul in Rome, in custody, dependent on the care of his friends and his good friends in Philippi hear about this. So they decide to pass the bucket, take up an offering and send a gift to Paul in Rome. And so they do that. They take up an offering. They choose someone from the congregation to send it to Rome. And so a man named Epaphroditus decides to be the representative. He takes the gift from the church at Philippi to the city of Rome to provide for Paul's needs while he's there. And so, in gratitude, the Apostle Paul sends the Philippians a thank you note. That's what Philippians is. To his friends in Philippi, he sends a note thanking them 
for their offering, for the gift they sent him. But because he's the Apostle Paul, and because for him all of life is theological, and because Epaphroditus kind of gave him an update on how things are going in the church, Paul also wanted to give them a little bit of an update on his circumstances, his trial, and then maybe give them just some uh, encouragement on uh, some important ways to look at their circumstances and their situation back in Philippi. And so that's what he does in a letter to the Philippians. He tells them thank you, he updates them on his circumstances, and he provides really some theological fresh perspective on their circumstances in the city of Philippi itself. And it's in doing that that Paul provides for us this really important, life-shaping, life-evaluating principle. And so let's just, let me just hit maybe some highlights out of the letter of Philippians that begin to illustrate this. Paul opens the letter to the Philippians, as he typically does with some thanksgiving uh, for for them, to them. You know, he tells them how he thanks God for them, but this is how he specifically words it. He says, I thank God for you, always remembering you in my prayers, in view of, here's the phrase, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So they just sent him a gift. And we know from things he says elsewhere and things we see in other places in his letters and his ministry that they regularly sent Paul gifts to help support him in his ministry. Paul describes that as participation in the gospel. In fact, as he continues describing his prayer for them, he says that uh, that they are partakers of grace with him. And so that word partakers is from the same root as participation. Like they are partners with Paul. They are sharers with Paul in the gospel, in the ministry. And that really sets the stage for some of the things Paul wants to say um, about his circumstances and about their circumstances in the letter to the Philippians. And so after his thanksgiving and prayer, he turns to his circumstances in verse 12. And he says, now I want you to know, my brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. This is interesting and fascinating. It's interesting because Paul's under custody. At the point he writes us, he's been in custody for three to four years. He hasn't been able to travel and preach hardly at all. Uh, and yet, he says, his circumstances have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. How so? Well, you keep reading there in Philippians, and what he says is that the entire Praetorian Guard, that is, uh, the, the special kind of elite troops that were commissioned specifically by uh, the emperor, that the Praetorian Guard has actually heard all about how he's in prison for the sake of Christ. He doesn't say they've come to faith in Jesus, just that they've heard that that's what he's in prison for. And so the word is rippling through the Praetorian Guard. I imagine it kind of spreading word of mouth through the barracks. And if you read between the lines and you compare this with Acts chapter 28, which I think corresponds to his imprisonment when he writes Philippians, Paul, it says there in Acts 28, he's chained to a, a Roman soldier. He's in his own rented quarters and he is... Um, inviting people to him and 
preaching the gospel to those people and talking about Jesus. And so then when the soldiers change shift, another one hears the same story. And then another shoulder, soldier, you know, on a new shift, hears him talking to other people about Jesus. And then they're back in their barracks and they're like, this guy I was just chained to all day. He He's like, thinks that this, this Jewish guy named Jesus that was crucified under one of our governors, Pilate, actually rose from the dead and he's, he's alive and he thinks he's actually the king of the universe and the guy's crazy, right? And so now the message about Jesus is spreading not just through the periphery of Rome, but at the very control center, the palace guard itself, uh, Caesar's own household is hearing the story about Jesus as the soldiers are reporting. That's kind of how I envision it working out. And that's what Paul says in Philippians, that somehow Caesar's whole palace guard has heard about Jesus and the gospel. And so Paul's circumstances, um, Paul's doing well, he says, because the gospel is progressing even though he's in custody. And that illustrates for us how Paul views his life and what Paul's life was all about. How are you doing, Paul? I'm great because the gospel's doing well. In essence, that's what he says. Now, he does want to let the Philippians know a little bit about his circumstances and his trial a little bit more. And so he tells them some things going on in his circumstances. And he he tells them he's not sure what's going to work out. Like, is he going to be released or is he going to die as a result of this imprisonment? He's not 100% certain. He's tending to lean towards he's going to be released. He's kind of optimistic on a positive outcome for his trial, but he's not 100% certain. But here's what he says in the context of that. It's like, look, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if I die as a result of this custody, I get to go be with Jesus and that's better by far. But if I live, well, then that means more fruitful ministry and service to you and others. And I don't know which to choose. Like, I, in other words, I can't lose. It's a win-win situation because I either get to go be with Jesus or I either get to keep serving Jesus and preaching the gospel. And that's at the heart of Paul's life. Paul evaluates his circumstances based on how well the gospel is doing and what's best for the gospel. And if he could choose, man, he's not sure which one he would choose between life and death because both have good outcomes for him because it means he gets to keep serving Jesus or he gets to see Jesus. Now, at that point in the letter, Paul then shifts to talk about the Philippian circumstances. They're facing some opposition from the outside. That's actually creating some tension on the inside. And so he wants them to stand together as one and strive together as one for the sake of the gospel. And he couches that as, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And specifically what he means by that, he actually uses a word that means live as good citizens, plays off of the Philippian situation. You can actually check out the listener's commentary on the book of Philippians for more details on all of that. But in, in short, he wants them to carry out their life and conduct themselves in and around town and in their relationships with each other and in their relationship towards outsiders. He wants them to conduct themselves as good citizens of the, the gospel kingdom and honor the gospel in the way they go, go about their life. He goes on to talk about being uh, unified through humility and some of those things. He, he gives the example of Jesus who laid down his life for them. 
Then he gives two concrete examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, both who model this, this same sort of uh, approach to life. Like Timothy is genuinely concerned for their welfare because he cares about Jesus more than he cares about himself. Uh, Epaphroditus, who was the one that carried the gift, and he actually got sick on the way, so sick he almost died. Paul's now sending him back with this letter that we call Philippians. But Paul says, you need to hold people like him in high regard. Why? Because he risked his life for the sake of the gospel. And that really is at the heart of what Paul is getting at everywhere in the book of Philippians. And that's what pairs with what we see in Acts chapter 16, when Paul first was in Philippi and started the church. And I just find it such an interesting connection between the two. Because in Acts chapter 16, Paul gets arrested, beaten, put in, put in jail. Um, and then when, when there's an earthquake, the jailer comes to faith in Jesus, right? And his whole, he and his whole family are baptized. Everyone in his household is baptized, comes to faith in Jesus. Uh, in the morning, the Policemen from the city magistrates come and tell Paul, look, you can go now. Paul's like, no, I want a public escort out of jail from the city magistrates. So they come and they give him one. And the reason he has leverage to do that is because he's a Roman citizen. Uh, and so now declaring his citizenship, they come, they give him an escort. Why did Paul do all of that? He did all of that so that the, the church would have some credibility in town, so that the gospel would have some credibility in town so that it wouldn't be viewed necessarily as an illegal religion because the city magistrates had to admit they're wrong and escort Paul out of jail. And so Paul is driven in Acts 16, and then again he describes it in the letter to the Philippians. He's driven by what's best for the gospel. He evaluates his circumstances by what's best for the gospel. And he's really providing that as an example to the Philippians here in the letter to the Philippians. And so then he calls them to live the same way, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. In fact, in chapter 3, he talks about how whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ, what's more, I count all things to be lost. Like, he lives completely for Jesus. And then at the end of that section, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the same pattern you have in us. Like, like look at the pattern of my life. And imitate me and imitate others who walk this way, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, and others among you who, whose life is driven by the gospel and what brings the gospel the greatest honor in town, even if it's hard for you. What's going to help the gospel have a good reputation, even if it means enduring an unjust, illegal beating and imprisonment for one night there in Philippi. Like, what's best for the gospel? That's how you should live. That's how you should look at your relationships with each other. And and so he encourages these two women in chapter 4, Yodia and Suntuke, to get along in the Lord. Why? Because they've shared in his struggle, and that's best for the gospel. He talks, then he specifically thanks them for the gift in chapter 4. But even in doing so, he says, I've, I've learned to get along with a lot. I've learned to get along with a little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's great that you sent me this gift. I've received everything in full, almost like a receipt for the gift. And, and so Paul models for them and for us what it looks like to live a life driven by what's best for the gospel. And so the question for you as a follower of Jesus and the question for me as a follower of Jesus is, what would it look like where I live at this time and place in my circumstances to use my time in a way that is best for the gospel? What would it look like 
to use my finances and my resources in a way that's best for the gospel? How could I conduct my relationships in a way that's best for the gospel? Are there things I'm doing that could be hindering the gospel? Are there things I'm doing that could hinder the progress of the gospel in my town? Do I rejoice when the gospel's doing well, even if it means difficulty and hardship for me? What's best for the gospel? This is the pattern we have in the Apostles Paul's life in Acts chapter 16 and in the letter to the Philippians. And so in the spirit of the Apostle Paul, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in every way so that you might bring Jesus honor right in the context of your everyday life. This is a big principle uh, that isn't always clear-cut, requires meditation, prayer, discernment, wisdom to, to think it through and to figure it out. There's places where Scripture tells us exactly what that looks like. Then there's other places where we kind of got to discern as best as we can with the aid of Scripture and the help of the Spirit to figure it out. But as Jesus' people, following the example of the Apostle Paul, I think this principle is really, really powerful and important for us as we try to live our lives as followers of Jesus in a world that does not always respect Jesus, does not always get the gospel, uh, what would it look like for us to be driven by what's best for the gospel? So that's my hope and my encouragement to you and to myself is that we would be gospel-centered and gospel-shaped in the way we carry out our very lives, our relationships, use our resources and our time, our abilities and our talents to love and to serve and to care, uh, to live together in harmony as one people of God in Christ. Let's be people who are driven by and who evaluate our life on the basis of what's best for the gospel. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Thanks again to those of you who support this ministry and make it possible by your generosity. If you have been impacted by this ministry and you want to join the team of supporters, there's a link down in the notes below, or you can swing over to johnwhitaker.net, johnwhitaker.net, click the Give button, and you can set up a monthly recurring donation, or you can give a one-time gift as well. Let me just say in advance, thanks a ton for your support. Your support is having an impact in the lives of people all around the world. So thank you so much. God bless you. I look forward to talking with you again next week.